if we think about supply chain and what it really does, it starts with design and it ripples through everything else. I mean, for product-centric organizations, everything starts in design. So the ability to take this design data and seamlessly share it with the rest of the organization to drive that velocity and quality, but also to leverage that data that's coming from the rest of the supply chain to make better decisions earlier in the process, whether that's from a cost, quality, profitability, sustainability perspective, it is key. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name is Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a blogger, marketer, and podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're in store for a great conversation as we focus on the area of product design with our guest, Sean Laughlin. So welcome, Sean. Thanks so much for joining us today, and it is so great to have you on. So to kick us off, could you take a quick moment to introduce yourself to our listeners, give a little insight into what you do today and how you've gotten to where you are today? Great. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks, Richard. Hello, everyone. Again, my name is Sean Lachlan. I'm part of our product mark team here, SAP focused on our PLM solutions. I've been with uh, SAP here for uh, going on 17 years now, focused in a variety of roles here in the PLM space, spent a stint in pre-sales, talking with customers around our solutions in this space. In the last five or so in the solution management product marketing arena, being as the liaison between customers and our product development team and helping articulate the trends that we see in the marketplace, things that are keeping our customers up at night and helping that drive the focus of our products that we deliver to our customers. I've been in the engineering world probably longer than I care to admit. I'm actually a degreed mechanical engineer over 30 years ago out of college and spent you know several years in industry prior to joining the software space where I spent time with a couple other companies and now with SAP. So thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for joining, Sean. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I think it'll be a great one and one that our listeners will certainly love. But, you know, as we're still early in the year, much of our outlook is still in the predictive state, I'd say. But in your opinion, what trends and challenges are you seeing at the moment for businesses from a point of view of product engineers and designers in the manufacturing companies? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think some will sound familiar. And I think there's some other ones that are it really become top of mind for a lot of engineering teams, as well as the, the companies that our product developers work for. So there's still the constant need for increasing the velocity of innovation. We have the need to still get products to market fast to, to maintain that first mover advantage. I think another topic that's been around for a while, but is now picking up a lot of steam is the whole topic around sustainability and how we design our products with sustainability in mind. And then I think the last one is the really hot topic of AI and how artificial intelligence, you know, not only can improve the software experience that everyone is using, but also helps fuel business decisions, drives business velocity, and also starts to address the talent question, right? How do we bridge the talent gap that we're probably going to be seeing in these organizations that are typically laden with a lot of uh, great experience and pave the way for the future? So I think those are three of the key things I see as driving some of the markets and things we see that are keeping design engineers and engineering managers and other leadership awake at night. It's interesting you mentioned the velocity of innovation, Sean. I mean, the reality is we've been talking about faster time to market since I started in the business over 30 years ago as well. 
So it seems like an ever-present challenge. So how can today's business systems and the processes and technologies help not only get products to market faster, but also the products that customers want to market faster? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Richard. And yeah, even when I was a, a young engineer, it's always getting the product out the door faster. And you know, that's been a trend forever. And then, you know, we balance that with, well, not only do you have to get it out faster, but you have to make sure it's still high quality. You can't be the first to market with something that's not meeting the need, whether that's either from a customer need or a performance need. And then you always had to make sure the cost was factored in there as well. That's still all the case in some of the other, you know, we talked about sustainability and we'll talk more about that later, but now there's that force factor of, of sustainability in there as well. So you know, I think the key in enabling this is making sure that all of the data and the information that is required to make a decision about what's the right product, what's the right price, what's the market need that we're trying to serve. Are we able to manage the customer requirements and make sure that's mapped to the product details and performance characteristics that we produce? Having that data readily available and in a format that it's able to easily be consumed to support making the business decisions faster is what's needed. And we talk about things and throw terms out like the digital thread. Well, this is really what the digital thread is all about. You know, making sure I have a, a seamless environment, a seamless information flow that connects all stages of product development. It's not just the design aspects. It's not just the bill of material that we're creating. It's how do we make sure that those materials, those parts, those assemblies we're designing match the requirements that we've gotten through innovation cycles that we've run, making sure that we easily and seamlessly transition that over to manufacturing so that we're manufacturing exactly what engineering's intended, keeping that information and keeping a view on that as that product becomes realized in the market, as it's starting to be used, as it's maintained, as it's serviced, and making sure that and all of that information is fed back in a way that's easily consumed and digestible so that we within engineering can make better decisions and analyze the trade-offs and things that we need to do quicker and easier and based on real data to make that whole process run faster and smoother. Right. And I think it's probably going to be the topic of discussion for the next 30 years as well. So I don't think it's going to go away. 100%. Another topic that certainly isn't going to go away is the second one you mentioned, sustainability. And it's always a topic of discussion that we have almost every episode. And it's increasingly important from a design perspective with the topics like the plastics tax and waste management, which are important topics to consider in design. So how has and how is engineering evolving to meet sustainability mandates? Yeah, it's a great question, Richard. And I think if we think about sustainability, we've been doing things that are good for the environment for a long time. You know, the need to design compliant products from standards and regulations like Reach and Rojas have been around for a while. And we've did a lot of great things from a product development perspective to support those regulations and making sure we're designing good products. You know, when we talk about design for sustainability, it's like you said, it's a lot more now. It's the plastic taxes. It's the extended producer responsibilities. It's understanding carbon consumption and production uh, from a manufacturing perspective. And these regulations and the consumer demands that come along with them are not going to go away. In fact, they're going to accelerate and continue to accelerate it as we move forward. We think about plastic taxes in Europe where we have different countries. You know, in the U.S., we may have different plastic taxes in all of the 50 states. So designers are going to have to take into account 
you know, how do I understand and reduce emissions, plastic content, energy consumption, and this is going to be an integral part of product development. So we need to be able to not only understand the regulations, but understand how our design decisions and choices that we're making early on may impact those regulations. How will we conform to them? How do we get better in a specific market by making better material choices? But as we talked before, these material choices, you know, in sustainability may work counterintuitive to the other levers that we talked about before. We can't have sustainability slow down our product development process. We can't have sustainability affect our product quality. We can't let sustainability affect our cost. Or if we do, we have to make sure that we're doing the right trade-offs that comply to our corporate mandates. Consumers may pay more for a more sustainable product. We have to understand that as, as designers and make sure we have the tools to understand that and easily and quickly understand the impacts of, of the changes that we make. And the other key thing to note is that when we think about sustainability, it's not just a one-time dip your toe in the pool, check to make sure we're good and then move on. We really need to incorporate, you know, what I call a sustainability assessment process within our typical product development process, where we're looking at sustainability criteria at every stage within the product development process. It's not just when we start creating it, but it's as we get ready to release, as we start producing, as we have produced to see if we need to start sustainability improvement projects, for example, to improve even further the plastic content, recycled content that we have in products that we recently launched. So it's going to be a challenge for a lot of organizations, but I think it's a trend that we'll see evolve and, and it will help with that over time. That's an interesting discussion around that balancing act you talked about of the sustainability initiatives with the cost and the time to market. And I'm sure you mentioned one or two other things as well. Do you think that the designers, the R&D departments have the tools? or other tools available to manage that balancing act? Well, if, if we consider the tool being Excel, then I'd say yes. But <laughs> you know, the challenge with that is as soon as you publish an Excel spreadsheet, the data is out of date. If you're just managing a single regulation, then that's one thing. But when you start to look at the global reach of things like sustainability, things like plastic and carbon, it's not a one regulation fits all. So we have to look at tools that allow us to look across the continuum and see everything in its totality to be able to make the best decision for our products. Or we may decide that for a specific market, we have to now design a different variant to meet that regulation better. So the answer is it's there today. It's hard to manage. We need to make sure that we're developing delivery tools that, that help that decision process be easier and more comprehensive and not sacrifice the velocity that we need to get our products out to market. Great insights. Yeah. And I'm really intrigued to see what happens over the next couple of years and decades on, you know, sustainability from a corporate perspective, because I'm already starting to see it at a consumer level. You know, when I go to my local grocery store or convenience store, there's a ban on plastic bags now. It's either you bring your own or you have to pay for a paper bag. So we're already seeing it start pretty small. And then I'm excited to see how it grows into something even better. But, you know, we're talking about these top trends of the past couple of years and then 2023 and now moving forward into 2024. And I think we can all agree that we can't have one of these podcasts without discussing the role of AI and Gen AI. <laughs> you know, it's been a topic of conversation in meetings and strategies and boardrooms, even the nightly news. So, Sean, 
How have you seen AI change the design processes in the recent past? And what can we really expect moving forward now? Yeah, Nicole, it's a great point. You know, AI is everywhere and it's neat. You know, it's really neat technology. And when we think about the things that AI can enable, it, it really is going to play a key role in all businesses. But I think it's keenly poised to address some things within engineering. I mean, some of the things we talked about is maybe more specifically generative AI. It's really going to help enrich the work experience for that up and coming workforce that's going to expect technology like this to be embedded within our work environment. So the ability to have systems and AI specifically to help enrich our work experience, I think is going to drive the whole user experience and the thrills that people have in doing their jobs. You know, it also not only does that, but also is going to help designers to maybe build more products, help better products, the ability to define and compare alternatives using AI. I'm excited to see the great products that companies develop by being able to iterate more designs faster by using AI technology. That's great. AI's almost feels inescapable at the moment. It kind of feels like any conversation you're in, we're talking about it in some way. But I think the greatest thing that is going to come from it is being able to now shift into that more strategic role rather than, you know, focusing on those mundane tasks moving forward are really allowed people to step into value-added roles now. So like yep. you said, I'm excited to see what companies can do moving forward. I think there's one more thing to add to that. It kind of talks to what we talked about before. And I mentioned the digital thread and the need for this data to be available to support the digital thread, but good data is also critical to the success of AI. You know, I think having AI as a technology is one thing, but having AI that's built on very rich and deep data foundations is going to be even more powerful and useful to product engineering teams. Completely agree. Well, another trend or topic that you talked about, in addition to sustainability and AI, we are increasingly hearing about the shortages of labor across the supply chain, you know, from aging workforces to new generations entering the workforce. So are you seeing a shortage of talent when it comes to the research and development field? It's an interesting question. I don't know if I'd call it a shortage. I would call it maybe a shift. And the reason I say that is if you look across major universities, you know, engineering is still a top degree that people are pursuing. It's a skill that I think we see a lot of people wanting to have. Human nature is one that's built on curiosity and engineering is all about taking that curiosity and developing new things. So I, I don't know if there's a shortage, but I'd say there's a shift. And the reason I say that is because I mentioned before and sheepishly, I'll, I'll mention it again, you know, 30 plus years ago, I, I entered this marketplace. So I think there's an aging workforce from an engineering perspective. And I think where the challenge could be for organizations is getting and attracting that next generation talent, getting someone to want to come to work and solve the problems that our customers are asking for and developing new products and still fueling that curiosity. And I think the key for retaining that talent is how do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them happy and excited to come to work? You know, some people are just naturally curious and they'll come to work. Other people want that work experience to be very rewarding. I think we all do. So one of the tools from a fantastic user experience to make my normal work days more exciting, 
but also how do we leverage exciting technologies like we talked about AI to help me be more curious and help support my curiosity faster and give me those good ideas to, to develop my products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how all of these different trends come together as well, because I would say sustainability and working for a sustainable company that's delivering sustainable products is another good incentive for people to come to work every day and attract new talent to the company. Absolutely. Absolutely spot on, Richard. I mean, just like we as consumers of products are becoming more selective of the products we choose based upon how sustainable they are and you know whatever that sustainability means. Employees are, are looking and making a company and corporate decisions based upon that same criteria, right? They want to work for the companies that are doing good and their products are doing good in, in protecting the environment. Another important topic that we hear a lot about in these discussions is the importance of collaborating across a network. Because, I mean, obviously in today's environment, no business does everything alone. They rely on the network of partners to help meet their evolving and challenging customer demands. So how has collaboration evolved from an engineering perspective, both across departments and company boundaries? Yeah, I mean, I think the product development process, regardless of industry, it's dynamic and it's an intricate journey, right? It's not just coming to work and working in your cube and designing something and then handing it over. It's like it requires precision and collaboration across the entire life cycle. So that's, you know, internally, right? Engineering and, and manufacturing, for example, need to work closer together. You know, and it's all about driving the, the velocity that we talked about before. Also, we don't work in the silos that we used to, you know, the ecosystem from a product development perspective and the need to share data with suppliers or outside design firms, contract manufacturers is the reality. We used to just see it in high tech. Now it's becoming more prevalent in other industries as well. And the need there is to make sure that we can share that data, not via email, but in a secure space where we don't compromise security, where we allow these companies to collaborate with their external partners and protect their information. So we need engineering systems to connect to these ecosystems. We need to support open standards and manage the complex structures. So things like uh, Katina X is driving a lot of that coordination. And then these PLM systems that we talk about, these engineering systems will become the access point to all these other systems we're talking about. And, and it's really all going to be about facilitating that seamless collaboration and the interchange of data so that we're, again, driving high quality products to market at a very rapid pace. You mentioned the importance of accurate and timely data several times during the discussion. And to collaborate, you need to share information across company boundaries. And just as importantly, across departmental boundaries, we need to share that data. So with that in mind, how important is product lifecycle management data to the ERP and business systems? And vice versa, how important is the ERP data to product lifecycle management? It's critical. I mean, when we talk about things like supporting true innovation, I mean, true innovation, in my opinion, is only achieved when you have product lifecycle management data tightly connected to the ERP data and the ERP environment. You know, it's only by having these tightly connected, seamlessly integrated can organizations improve their ability to meet the market demands, improve the product quality, you know, optimize their profitability because we're all working on the same set of data. It's invaluable for my opinion to have these systems as seamlessly integrated as possible. Awesome. 
Well, Sean, somehow we've already reached the end of the podcast, and I'm sure both Richard and I can attest we could absolutely talk for another 30 minutes. You know, there's no shortage on topics in the supply chain space and especially in the design space. So I'm sure we'll have you back in discussing some more of these trends and technologies that are coming to light. But, you know, given the title of the series is The Future of Supply Chain, we'll be asking you the same question we ask every guest. <laughs> so. In a sentence or two, what is the future of supply chain from a design perspective? Well, that's a great question. And you kind of locked me into only doing it in a sentence or two. But um, <laughs> if we think about supply chain and what it really does, it starts with design and it ripples through everything else. I mean, for product-centric organizations, everything starts in design. So the ability to take this design data and seamlessly share it with the rest of the organization to drive that velocity and quality that we talked about before but also to leverage that data that's coming from the rest of the supply chain to make better decisions earlier in the process, whether that's from a cost, you know, quality, profitability, sustainability perspective is key. So I'm excited to see the, the, the continued evolution of design within the supply chain because all engineers know that everything starts in the design phase. So I appreciate the time, Nicole. I look forward to future conversations on this topic. It's, it's exciting for me. Same here. Spoken like a true engineer, Sean. So of course. <laughs> hey, Sean, thanks for an engaging and informative conversation. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Please mark us as a favorite, and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Sean, Nicole, and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain. <laughs>